listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. Um, one of my goals on this show is to bring you the best possible information um, by people that actually walk the walk. And um, uh, today I've got Mike Robertson on the show show with me, and I, I've been friends with Mike for a long time. We've done seminars together. We've done a product together. And the biggest thing I admire about Mike is the, the quality of the information that he puts out. I mean, if you go on his website, You'll have there'll be an article there on everything you wanted to know about squatting, deadlifting. He takes some um, one of his, his business partners, a guy named Bill Hartman, who is uh, you know on the same level as Yoda, <laughs> and um, it's one of the reasons I really pay attention to what Mike's doing is because he's got a guy like Bill um, to learn from, and, and Mike's constantly doing continuing education, but he takes um, really complicated. Um, Things and makes them very, very simple, and um, and 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 put and presents them in a practical way so you can apply them to your coaching, or if you're just an individual person. And we're going to go over some things today, and 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 I'm gonna, Mike's bio is going to be uh, in the show notes, so we don't have to. Uh, it's not a waste of time, but that way we don't have to go through the 10, 15 minute bio. We can just jump into the, the stuff here because this stuff that we're going to go over is is. This concept, if you understand the concepts we're going over, it is the most powerful thing I've ever seen to improve mobility, improve stability, and to get people just feeling better and moving better. And uh, I've never seen anything like this. And it's, uh, you know, traveling around to different gyms and things, you'd think this information was out there, but it's not. There's, there's not a lot of people get this concept. And uh, I think Mike is a great person to uh, to introduce you to this concept. So, so Mike, you know, we we both come from. Uh, thanks for joining us, by the way. But we both come from kind of a powerlifting background. You know, jam your shoulder blades together on the bench, big arch on the squat, arch hard on the deadlift, and you know, especially for the bench press, pulling those shoulder blades together. You know, it's great for the bench press, but as I've learned, you know, through you and through, you know, one of my coaches, Lucy, it's not so great for what we call overall health and then athletes who require a lot of movement because, you know, powerlifters, they need to be stiff because they need to be able to lift some big weights. But can you kind of go over the evolution of, of, of some of the, you know, ways that you coach things uh, since you started and, and up to now? Yeah. First off, thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. You know, I think there's always this evolution that goes on, and it's funny. I was writing a blog this morning, and you know we're we're always I don't want to say victims of where we start out, but we're always molded by where we start out. And for me personally, I came up in a powerlifting environment. Uh, you know that was my passion, and even though powerlifting, I always inherently knew powerlifting wasn't the best way to train athletes. I think it's very easy to get seduced by the ways of powerlifting because it's all about strength, right? And as a strength coach, strength is very measurable. It's very easy for me to say, look, I just took your squat from 405 to 445. Therefore, I'm doing my job and you're a better athlete. And ultimately, I think as my philosophy has changed over the years, I've become much more focused on the efficiency or the economy of movement. 
of giving my athletes a broad spectrum of physical abilities. So beyond strength, are they fast? Are they explosive? Are they well-conditioned? And when it comes down to that, when you talk about efficient movement, you start to realize that the cues that work really well for power lifters may not carry over as well to athletes. Because sure, we can help them push more weight, but what we end up doing ultimately in that effort to chase bigger and bigger numbers is we start to rob them of what we would call their movement variability. Or we start to rob them of their ability to express their athleticism and their true mobility because we lock them in this very extended pattern where they can't internally rotate, where they can't move in and out of position. So while it's great for pushing our numbers up or great for a powerlifting mindset or training program, it's not as good for our athletes. So I think that's just the natural evolution because, you know, starting off in that very powerlifting focused environment, that's what I trended towards. And over time, as I kind of refined how I did things and I learned more, whether it's from PRI, from Bill Hartman, from all the other amazing practitioners I've been exposed to over the years, I started to realize, look, what works great in one sport may not carry over directly to other sports. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed. Absolutely. And, you know, I've noticed this too, you know, a number of years ago when I first started interacting with you guys, um, you know, and you guys taught me about circumferential expansion, which is where you brace 360 and not just push into the front of the belt, which I was taught, you know, which drives you further into this extended posture. And we'll define that here in a second. Um, is great for buying, you know, what we call, you know, emergency stability when you're in a squat suit, but not so great because you're, you know, loading a position that if you're in an extremely extended position on on an athletic field, you're not going to be able to move real well. And and I've gotten away from, you know, normal. I've gotten I've gone towards safety squat bar for for my athletes. I've gone towards getting away from the bench press and doing um, you know lots of dumbbell work and 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 push ups with reaching and things like that. And I've just noticed they move so much better. And then you know, obviously, if I have somebody who has to squat with a bar on their back, a traditional bar on their back in, in their, their college program, I'm obviously going to do that, but I'm going to also do other things that counteract that gluing those shoulder blades together. So, you know, we see a lot of the same stuff and, um, could you explain this extended position, um, what it, what its role is and why do you think we're seeing so many people and what the consequences of it are if you, take it to the extreme and load it too much and and uh, why do you think we see so many people um, in this extended position now yeah it's a great question and it's obviously as you know an incredibly loaded question I yes mean, this, this I did be, that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> I mean that could be the rest of our show right there but you know when we talk about an extended posture or an extended pattern what we're talking about traditionally is the biomechanical system so the lower rib cage gets you know, flared or pushed forward, the lumbar spine gets extended, uh, they get driven into an anterior pelvic tilt. A lot of times even the thorax itself, so like your chest gets pushed forward. So when you look at that from a biomechanical perspective, again, we talked about this just a minute ago, great for powerlifting because this is a position that really locks you in, it makes you stable, and it makes you strong, fast, and explosive. Now, the downside to that is that, again, it robs you of your body's natural mobility. So if you're listening to this and you're in a place where you could stand, you could stand up, arch your back as hard as you can, and then try and squat as low as you can. And what you'll find is they're very mutually exclusive. The harder you arch, 
the more extension you drive, the less you're able to rotate through your hips. So as a power lifter, that may be a good thing. If you only have to squat to parallel, whatever that is, you know, <laughs> that's, that, that may be a good thing because it blocks you and it stops you in the bottom. But if you're an athlete, you may not want that. If you're a point guard on a basketball team and you need to be able to break down or change levels, if you need to be able to move side to side or laterally very quickly, robbing yourself of that mobility is going to restrict or impede your performance. So that's something that's really, really critical to note is you look at it from a biomechanical perspective, yes, all of that extensor tone or all of that extension through your body makes you fast, straightforward, or straight up and down. But it robs you of your body's mobility and it robs you of your ability to move side to side. So you can look at it from that biomechanical perspective, but you can also look at it from a nervous system perspective. And it, I mean, we can take it even further than that if we wanted. We could start talking about the immune system, the digestive system. But again, that's beyond my scope and probably beyond the scope of what you want. So when you look at an extension posture, an extension pattern from an autonomic perspective, this is what we would say is a, a client or an athlete that is very sympathetically driven or sympathetically toned. So they're constantly in this fight or flight uh, mm -hmm. kind of mental uh, image, if you will. Um, if you've ever read Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, you have a better understanding of this autonomic system balance. But, you know, when you hear sympathetically driven, that may not mean a lot. But when I start using terms like anxiety, stressed, um, poor recovery, um, poor ability to fall asleep at night, or if they fall asleep, difficulty uh, staying asleep, or just not that deep restful sleep that we're all looking for, in a lot of ways, that describes our very sympathetically driven or toned up individual. So contrast that with, you know, that parasympathetic branch or somebody that can flex their system, that can shut their system off. This person can tap into that rest and digest. They can shut down. They can relax. So I think what's most important and what I always try and explain to the clients, athletes that I work with, as well as the coaches and trainers when I'm giving a session, neither system is bad. All right. That's a really big takeaway. Neither system is bad. If I'm trying to lift a super maximal weight for me, if I'm trying to run as fast as I can in a straight line, if I'm trying to jump high, I want to be sympathetically driven. I want extensor tone. But at the same time, the best athletes, and I think the people that last the longest, are ones that can do that on one end of the spectrum, and on the other end, they can shut their system off. They can chill out, they can relax, and they can recover. So... To me, that's kind of the balance or the ebb and flow that we're looking with or looking for. And I know you didn't necessarily ask for that second piece, but I think that's really important. It's like you can look at the biomechanics, you can look at the autonomics, but at the end of the day, people are going to vilify one or the other. I don't think either is bad. In an ideal situation, your clients, your athletes, yourself, you can move or vacillate between that extended posture or that sympathetic kind of tone and that more flexed posture or that parasympathetic tone. And moving in between those is where the real money's made. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You don't want to be stuck. Each one has its place, but you don't want to get stuck in one. Yes. And, you know, I got stuck in one. You, you know, you've known me for a long time. And, you know, you talk about digestion. You're talking about being able to shut it off. I was never able to shut it off Yes. until I learned how to exhale. And I couldn't sleep. No matter, you know, I'd have to, you know, I'd be exhausted and I still couldn't sleep. Yep. And I ended up with ulcerative colitis and, and, and all these, these sort of things and digestive issues. And, and that's what we see. We see these women and men coming into our gym and they are stuck 
in this highly alert state, they're extended. So what happens to most of these people is they go into your typical gym and they get more of that. Yes. And that's not what they need. They need to be able to shut it off first and then learn how to move a little bit better, then turn it back on and then shut it off again. Because if you, you know, we see so many tight necks and so many people that are anxious and just wound up, giving them more of that is not the answer. So let's talk a little bit about the Postural Restoration Institute. I know that's kind of like a big buzz thing online these days. What is PRI to you and how has it influenced you um, especially with shutting, you know, this whole, I think, I imagine the concept of shutting it on, you know, turning it on, turning it off has come from that. So if you, why don't you explain a little bit about how they've influenced the way you work with clients? Yeah, again, very loaded question. Um, but, <laughs> but when you talk about PRI, and, and again, I'm going to talk from a trainer or coach's perspective, not from a therapist's perspective. I look at it as a biomechanical way of interpreting the state the current state of the human body. So you can use various tests, whether it's an adduction drop test, a pelvic ascension drop test, you know, uh, a Ruska adduction lift test, like all the different tests that, that you have access to. It gives me a basic idea of where this person is at at this point in time. So it gives me an idea of what kind of person I'm looking at. Are they unilaterally extended? Are they bilaterally extended? Um, where does their extensor tone manifest? Is it their pelvis? Is it in their thorax? Um, but it can go even further, right? Like if you're a therapist, I mean, you're looking at the skull, you're looking at the eyes on all these different influences. I mean, the ears. So it's such a loaded question because for me, it's a biomechanical system, system or a biomechanical assessment that allows me to understand kind of the general state of the body. Right? So if I know somebody is very locked up into extension at all their joints, then there's probably you know, a fair amount of sympathetic tone throughout the rest of their body. They're probably going to be more inflamed. They're probably going to have you know, more digestive issues or irritable bowel. But again, that kind of goes beyond what I think I use PRI for the most. That gives me an idea of what's going on internally with this person. But at the same time, I use it as a biomechanical system that allows me to open up windows of movement for my clients and for my athletes. So looking at it through that biomechanical lens, how well does this person move in the sagittal plane, in the frontal plane, in the transverse plane? Where are they stuck? What are their movement limitations? And then I can basically come up with a treatment program or a training program to help get them moving and feeling better, to make them more efficient so that ultimately they're more successful at their sport. Absolutely, or just life. Yes. So w- yes. what is what is the number one thing that needs to happen to get people to be able to shut off this ex- this extended position? What has to happen first? I mean, for me, and kind of the lens that I look through, and again, PRI has obviously had a huge, in- huge influence on me um, from a biomechanical perspective, but it- it's being able to exhale. And I know it sounds simple, but you would be shocked at how much better... F- people feel when you just cue them to drive a full exhale and to really get all the air out of their body. Now, with that being said, one of the things that that I talk about a lot in the core product and that PRI talks a lot about is, you know, early, like if you trace all this back, right, like maybe say eight years ago, we were talking about breathing and belly breathing and how important it is. And we're really focused on the inhale, right? Trying to get that nice full inhale. 
Well, then the next level or the next step in the evolution was, can you really exhale? And let's be honest, if you can get people to exhale, if you can get their rib cage to internally rotate and get their rib cage to come down, in, and back to where they can kind of shut off their back, they don't have to use their hip flexors, their lower back, their neck to help them breathe, that's going to be huge. But then kind of the final step in this progression or in this kind of evolution is being able to inhale from an exhaled posture. Yes. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times people can get that full exhale, but then when it's time to breathe in again, they resort right back to their default breathing pattern, which is neck, lower back, hip flexors, you know, all these accessory extensor-based muscles to pull right. air into the body. So if I can teach people to stay in that neutral position and then inhale into their back, inhale in excuse me, inhale into their back, into their sides, kind of distribute the airflow evenly throughout the front, sides, and back of their thorax, that's a client or an athlete that I feel like is going to be able to hold position when things go awry. And ultimately, look, we know all things go awry eventually, right? Yes. Whether it's a stressor at work, a stressor at home. If you're an athlete, you know, bottom of the ninth, two outs, you got to get this hit to win the game. You know, two seconds left in the basketball game, you got to hit both free throws to win. You know, there's all these little things that can push us in that direction. But ultimately, I want to create a resilient athlete that can hold position in times of incredible stress. And if I can do that, then I feel like I've done my job. Absolutely. And that's what people don't realize, like, you know, breathing with your neck, um, you know, using these these postural muscles to breathe is an emergency response to run from a bear. Yeah. And, and, and then it's supposed to be done. But we've got people because of our modern society and the way thing, you know, you sit in a desk all day and then you go to a gym and crank on yourself. Um, our body is forced to use these emergency breathing patterns just to survive. Yes. And, um, you know, we have to be able to shut that off so that when you do have to go there, you have something. You know, but if you're running at red line the entire time, um, you know, and you need to hit the gas pedal, there isn't going to be anything there if you're already redlined out. Yes. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things for, um, for people to, uh, to understand. Can I, can I just interject one thing here? Yeah, absolutely. What people don't understand, too, is that, okay, so the exhale sets the stage, right? But just think about how many things we have that push us into the sympathetic dominant position or, or tone all day long, right? Like just imagine the average person's day. They wake up and they didn't sleep well. So they hit Starbucks and they got the 20 ounce coffee right off the bat, right? <laughs> and then they're stressed at work, they're checking their phone, it's buzzing, tweeting, you know, shebanging, whatever your phone does like a bazillion times a day. So you're constantly like alert and on high stress checking things. You go to work and go, 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 and then you're stressed at work, so I'm going to go get the fast food lunch, you know, that's inflammatory and toxic and, you know, like the same five food sources created the entire meal, you know. Then it's home and you got kids and stress, da, da, da. Well, no wonder we're in this posture or in this position of sympathetic tone all the time, right? So, yes, the exhale is the first and probably most important thing. But when you want to take a macro level at your life or at your athlete's life, that's when you're going to start to really understand how prevalent all these issues are and how you have to really take care of all of these different things systematically if you want to get the best long-term changes. Absolutely. 
And, and a lot of people get so caught up in now, yes. you know, now, 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 especially with young kids. You know, we're forcing young kids to use these very, very high threshold strategies. You know, we'll have kids come in here and we'll put them in half kneeling and they're literally bracing like they're doing a 700 pound deadlift just to sit on one knee. Yeah. You know, that that's not that's not a good long term strategy. So just, you know, for all the people that lift out there. So how would you go about? bracing properly you know I, you know i was taught huge breath get as full as you can so how do you take that from you know teaching someone to get their ribs down to to a lift so to speak like how do you, how does that work yeah so i think the big difference for me is setting position first so whether it's a squat or a deadlift you have to find the appropriate time for you and a deadlift i'm actually standing up so i'll exhale to get my rib cage down and my pelvis up underneath me. And then what I'm gonna do is as I hold that position, I'm gonna take maybe a 50% breath in. I don't think you need that huge breath, but 50 to 60%. And think about breathing in through the nose and breathing into your back, right? And this is the same, we talked to you this when it came to the belt, it's the same whether you're using a belt or not. The belt mm. just gives you that kinesthetic feeling of that air coming into the back. But once you start to understand it, you don't even need the belt. So you breathe in, you pressurize your thorax in that position, then you grab the bar and you go. So the deadlift is pretty easy. On a squat, it's a little bit more challenging. A lot of times I'll kind of set up once I'm underneath the bar, same basic idea. So I'll get myself in position, shoulders, you know, whatever, hands on the bar, shoulders set. And when I come underneath, I'm going to exhale again to create that position of ribs down, pelvis up. And then that same idea of breathing into the back to drive and press air into the back side of the body. So I'm pressurizing the spine and I'm stabilizing the spine, but here's the key distinction. When I breathe into the back and when I keep a more neutral position throughout my thoracic spine, my lumbar spine, my pelvis, now I'm using muscle to help create stability versus just using my spine, which you know as well as I do, when you arch really hard, you're stable, but ultimately, you're compressing your lumbar spine. You're creating a ton of compression through your facets. You're crushing your disc on the backside. So at least in my opinion, it's a matter of time before you wear your spine out and end up with a disc injury or a hip injury or something of that nature. So, and again, I know somebody's going to say, oh, he's fear-mongering. Look, I'm just saying I've worked with a lot of athletes and a lot of power lifters. I know how these guys look. I know how they move. And I know how they feel. Ultimately, they end up having back issues if they continue to stabilize their spine in this fashion. Back so, or hip, back or hip issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all of them, all of them. So, oh yeah, you just just go online and look at all the surgeries. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, look. When I did work for Elite FTS, I worked with the bulk of their guys that were on staff um, and helped them with the various issues. And almost every one of them suffered from lower back pain. Now you can say, well, it could be anything, and yes, that's true. But at the same time, look, you can't tell me that that biomechanical position and constantly driving that extension through a certain segment right. of your lumbar spine isn't part of the problem. Yeah. Well, you're driving hard. You're arching hard on the squat. Then you're arching even harder with the bench shirt. Mm -hmm. I mean, my back used to kill me after bench press. My back would uh, hurt more after a bench session than a squat or a deadlift. Absolutely. So then you've all you're constantly doing that, you know, and uh, it just and you just keep getting further and further into extension. And of course, at the time I was training, 
you know, I wasn't doing front squats or anything like that to try and counterbalance that, that extended position. And it just, it just spiral, you know, then you, you start getting hip problems and, and knee issues. And then you're, you know, you're doing all sorts of, uh, you know, ART and you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to fix it, but you don't, you don't actually fix the, the root cause. No, you're, putting band, you're putting band-aids on the issue because yeah. when you're that extended, you're, you're a, a full-fledged member of Team Sagittal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? that is correct. So you, that... don't, you don't move side to side. You don't rotate. You move straight forward. And that becomes a real issue when you start to bench press 700 pounds and you can't rotate your shoulders or yeah. squat 900 or 1,000 pounds and you can't internally rotate your hips. And, and with guys like that, you know, that are performing at that level, it's a matter of just doing enough to keep them healthy. Because Absolutely. let's face it, if you're an elite level performer and you covered this in your core guide very well, it's not for health. No. You know, so I tell people all the time that are trying to train like a professional athlete, like you do realize that, you know, you have a full time job, you have kids and training like a professional athlete is just is not healthy. It's it, you're you're trading, you know you're driving your car so hard that you're not, you know, you're not recovering and you're not getting paid to do it. So why, you know, these guys like John Elway and Peyton Manning and that, that have got, you know, they walk around like they're cripples, but they're millionaires, you yeah. know, so they've, they've traded, they've traded their body for money, which is, which is perfectly fine. But, you know, you got your, your average guy that's an attorney sitting in a, in a desk all day. I don't think he understands that they associate like high level performance with health and it just, it just isn't so. Yeah. No, what they don't understand is, they're they're trying to mimic a Ferrari and they're a Toyota Camry. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like I do. I, I use that analogy all the time. <laughs> Joe, Joe Ken will tell you what's the biggest difference between an elite athlete and an average athlete. He's like, look, these the the guys I work with are superhuman. They yep. are freaks. There's a reason they play pro sports. Do not try and mimic what they do training wise. Absolutely, especially with your 13 year old kid. Yes. Um, Let's talk about in your core guide, you do a really good job of like looking at, you know, how you used to train people, how you used to approach people. Let's look at like the shoulder girdle. You know, we used to talk about, you know, we used to try, you know, we got to strengthen that upper back. You know, the upper back is weak. The chest is tight. And, and this was a hard concept for me to, to, to grasp, too. And talk about some of the stuff you've done to, to alleviate, um, you know, that shoulder dysfunction that's a little counterintuitive. Yeah. You know, and, and this was tough for me too because I'm kind of taken back to those days when I was powerlifting, when I was working with the guys from Elite FTS, and it, it made sense that if these guys are pressing this much weight, that they needed balance front to back, right? And it only makes sense if you're going to bench press 500 pounds and you need a ridiculously strong upper back, so you need to be able to row a significant amount of weight as well. But when you start to break down the biomechanics of the lift, when you're looking at a bench press, there's really no motion, right? right. Like you've bench pressed how much? Probably 700, I think. Six, yeah, 700? A little more than that. Okay. So <laughs> I guarantee when you bench press 700 plus pounds, you locked your shoulder blades down and back. Oh, as hard as I could. <laughs> and yeah. Get to the point you were probably cramping or close to it, right? Yes. So it makes you very, very stable. But I can tell you, if you're listening to this, regardless of where you're at, Stick your shoulder blades as far together and down as you can and look at what happens to your rib cage. Right? It gets pushed forward. Your thorax gets pushed forward. So when you do that and you're, you're stuck in this position, you lose rotation at your shoulder. 
Well, for a power lifter, you know, that may not be the biggest deal unless they start to have shoulder issues. But for an athlete, especially a, an athlete that plays a throwing sport like yes. baseball or softball or volleyball where you need to have full shoulder rotation, this is a huge issue. So one of the big things that we've done and we've kind of moved away from just, you know, bench press and rows, bench press and rows, there's a huge emphasis on reaching now. And what reaching does in, say, a push-up or in some of your various core training exercises is it teaches you to reach, it teaches you to protract your scapula, and most importantly, it teaches you to open up that upper back. Because if somebody is very extended, we used to always look at you know anterior tilt lumbar lordosis, anterior tilt lumbar lordosis. That was like our big focus. But when somebody gets truly extended top to bottom, their thorax gets pushed forward as well up top. So this is that person where their shoulder blades are just kind of glued together up top. Or when you look at them, their shoulder blades are just like hanging off their rib cage, right? Like you just go pull it off like a T-bone steak and take a bite out of it, you know? So what we're trying to do instead of just rowing, rowing, rowing and pushing that thorax further forward is the opposite. We're teaching them to reach and push their rib cage, the backside of the rib cage back into their scapula or their shoulder blades. So once you have that, now you've got this nice kyphosis, which that's not a bad word. You're supposed to have a kyphosis up top. You've got this nice kyphosis sitting with a scapula that's curved as well on top of it. Because for years, we used to see that winging scapula or that scapula that doesn't have a home, and we'd say, oh, they've got a weak serratus. Do more serratus work. Well, no, that's not the case. The problem is their rib cage is too flat. It's too extended on the backside, so their scapula doesn't have a home. If you can get them to reach... And most importantly, reach and then breathe into that upper back, or as PRI would say, the posterior mediastinum. If you can get them to open up that backside, now you've got that natural kyphosis back, which is really just a neutral thoracic spine. You've got a shoulder blade for it to rest on, and now you've got a really happy shoulder that, you know, unless you have some sort of very local issue that you need to address, has full shoulder rotation into external and internal rotation. You know, it's funny that the neat thing that PRI and looking into that has done for me is it's explained why a lot of the things that I've done from the beginning worked. And I yes. didn't know why, like yes. walk-ups, you know, I did, would always have every, you know, I'd have clients that have been a physical therapist for months and their shoulder issues wouldn't go away. And I would have them start doing walk-ups and bear crawls and all of a sudden their shoulder would start feeling better. Yep. You know, so by getting them, in, and, and of course, I was doing these even during the time where there was a time several years ago where, it, you know, it was uh, a, just an absolute sin to bend <laughs> your spine in any way. Yep. You know, and I would have them walk up, you know, it helped their deadlift position. I'm going to have them do walk ups in between deadlifts. And it'd be like, wow, that fixed their hinge. Yep. Or, you know, and, and their shoulders would start feeling better. And that's why, because it got their ribs down and it made them reach. Yes. So a lot of this stuff, um, explains to me like a lot of the things that I was doing correctly in the past that I never really knew why. <laughs> and I think that's, that's what great coaches do, right? We are in this age of everybody wants evidence-based. If it's not peer-reviewed and, you know, meta-analyzed, then it doesn't work. And that's total. Can I say, can I curse? Like, yeah. It's total, you, oh, it's total bullshit, <laughs> right? Good coaches are always going to be five to 10 years ahead. And yes, the, that gap may narrow a little bit, but the best coaches and the ones that get results are always going to be ahead because they see it every day. 
Right. They don't need a peer-reviewed study to prove to them, oh my gosh, this guy had no shoulder internal rotation. I just got him 50 to 60 degrees by getting him to breathe or by getting him to reach. Right. So, I mean, look, I like science as much as the next guy. I've got a stack of research next to my bed that I'm going through right now. But at the end of the day, coaches get paid to get results. And they get paid to figure out what works before anybody else does. Yep. So, you know, it's just one of my pet peeves. But ultimately, look, coaches understand what works. They see it every day. Their eyes are true to them. And they understand, look, if I get this person to do X, Y, and Z, then I get them to move better. They have less pain and they got more range of motion. That's a win for me. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why I have so much respect for like you and guys like Cressy. Um, because there's a lot of people online that are writing all sorts of stuff that aren't coaching, you know, and um, you you do a great job. And I don't know how you do it, you know, with kids and everything <laughs> else. And you do a show on that, uh, you know, how you organize your life. But, yes. you know, between your kids and your job and you're around Bill all the time, you put out such great material and you're actually training people, you know, whereas a lot of these people that are putting out products and information, they aren't training anybody anymore. You know, or they haven't trained anybody. Yeah. So that's one of the one of the reasons I respect you so much. Um, you got you've released this this core product. I actually have the manual here. Um, you actually something I want you to go over. You had a, a, a guy ask you. You know, what would you do with Hussein Bolt? You know, there's some some sports like Olympic lifting, some sports like uh, sprinting, some sports that like gymnastics where these, these athletes are using that extended position, um, to, to, to achieve performance. Sure. And they ask you, would you, what would you do with Hussein Bolt? Would you, would you fix his extended position? And, uh, I, I think the answer you gave there is absolutely incredible because, you know, managing the high performer is something that nobody really wants to talk about. Yeah. You know, and this is what a lot of people struggle with. And this is where, People want to live on one end of the spectrum or vilify one end of the spectrum. Like in the case of a power lifter, in the case of an Olympic lifter, in the case of a 100-meter sprinter, that sympathetic tone and that sympathetic drive makes them explosive. It makes them fast. It makes them able to push the boundaries of human performance. But I think at the same time, you know, we have to do enough as a coach to keep this person in one piece. That is my only job. So <clears throat> am I going to correct? if? I, and again, I've never worked with Usain Bolt. I probably never will. But if I ever got the chance to work with somebody of that caliber, would I take their extensor tone away? Absolutely not. What I would work to do is give them a checks and balances system. So can he control the front side of his pelvis so that he doesn't get so driven into extension that he ends right. up with an injury? Right? That's the yes. name of the game. And that's what I did. You said it before. That's what I did with a lot of the power lifters that I worked with. I simply gave them enough movement variability so that they wouldn't break down. AJ Roberts is like the best example ever. Um, this guy, when he came over, he was already squatting like 900, 910, I don't know, something ungodly, right? Yes. He comes over. All I gave him, basic core training exercises, a warm-up, and I made him do some single leg or split stance work. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that guy went from squatting 9, 10, or whatever to 1,000. Now, I'm not taking any credit for the actual squat itself. All I did was help him stay healthy so that he could train at a high level. That's the biggest takeaway. Can these high-level athletes train at a high level so that then they can go out and perform at a high level? Because you know as well as I do, the higher you go, 
the narrower your margin of error is. It is razor thin. So the difference between AJ Roberts squatting 900 and going to 1,000 or squatting 900 and getting hurt, razor thin. Yes, very so thin. That, that is my job, and I will say that time and again. Like a lot, Every pro athlete that I work with, my first job is to get them feeling as close to 100% as possible. Because if I can get them feeling good, if I can make them efficient, then they can go out and do what they do at a high level. I can turn them over to the sport coach. But if this person, if I'm just chasing numbers in the gym and I'm driving them into more and more extensor tone, if I'm robbing them of their natural mobility, their natural athleticism, now I'm causing more issues than I'm helping. Yeah, I I dealt with that. I had a couple guys that were going to uh, NFL camps. One of them actually ended up on the Seahawks and played in the Super Bowl. But they were so loaded up and so extended from lifting, you know, ungodly amounts of weight um, that, you know, the one guy couldn't even get in a three-point stance. Yeah. (laughs) And we actually just quit lifting and just worked on getting him moving better, and he was able to make a roster, and the other guy ended up being MVP in the CFL. Um, And we didn't really lift heavy at all. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It it is. is. And and it's funny. I had a a powerlifter come in who was struggling with back pain. And I wanted to make it really simple. The only thing I gave him was, you know, laying on your back, kind of crunching up a little bit, putting your elbow on your knee, single leg raise, um, just a little bit crunched up, you know, 10 on each side twice a day. He called me back like four months later. He's like, dude, my back feels great. My lifts are going great. Just giving him that one thing. It didn't have to be a complete rebuild. It just needed something to pull him out of extension just enough so he, he had that variability. So... This the, I'm looking at this core product uh, book and I bought it. You know, I I I try and buy these products from people that I respect because I know how hard it is to do these products. And this is just an incredible product because you go through all the anatomy in a simple way. Um, you go through how the body's at war for pelvic position and and all that good stuff. And and the really nice thing about it is it's that you start off with the absolute beginner. Like you say, because this is step one, and this is what I'm looking for, and this yeah. is step two, and and the videos that you had with it are absolutely fantastic. Um, so we're gonna have a link to this product. If you're a coach, or if you're uh, you train yourself, I tell you what, if you get that middle fixed, it's gonna help so many other things. Uh, you'll be absolutely shocked. Um, talk a little bit about you guys, what you guys are doing with IFAST University. Um, and, and after you talk a little bit about that, I'll, I'll load this question a little bit more. She's always sure you're a trainer and you've never heard about any of this stuff. This is like brand new for you. This is a, and it's a ton, this, the PRI stuff, when you start looking into it, it'll make your head hurt. Um, you know, if you're a coach and you're stumbling across this for the first time, like how do you integrate this without totally destroying your business and losing all your clients? Yeah. So do you want me to talk about IFAST University and the role that that plays in it, or? Yeah, just talk about that, and 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 then you know what what you know, what you guys got going. We've talked about your core product. Talk yeah. about the continuing education you got with IFAST University because I think that's fantastic. And then talk about hey, this is all new information to me. And when yes. people log on to IFAST University, their head is going to hurt. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to make your bend, your brain bend, and you're going to feel like a complete idiot. Yeah. So um, I gotcha. Yeah. So. Thanks. So here's what I suggest. Number one, IFAST University is something that uh, Bill, myself, 
Ty, Jay, Lance, Brandon, Kirsten, Jay, like the whole staff at iFast, this is our way of continuing to, number one, grow ourselves as coaches and trainers because I feel like the better you get at this, the more often and the more seriously you have to take your job as a mentor or coach to others. So it's a way for us to push our own personal growth, but most importantly, it's a way for us to give back and to educate other trainers and coaches regardless of where they're at. Because so many times we get emails from clients, from coaches, from people across the world that are like, oh my gosh, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, I want to learn more from you, but I can't take 16 weeks because our internship is 16 weeks. It's non-negotiable. Like you have to come for four months. And so this is a way for us to kind of circumvent that. Like, okay, you can't come to IFAST, but you can log on every month and spend two to three hours of your time educating yourself on the way we do things at iFast. So that's really why we created it, because we saw that there was this huge gap in continuing education as far as the strength and conditioning or personal training realms go. There's some really great information out there, but a lot of it's not cohesive. It doesn't fit well together. And if I can say one thing about us at iFast, we're all operating from the same base philosophy. Now, we may all interpret things slightly differently. We may have different pet exercises or interpretations of things based on who we train. But ultimately, we're all starting from the same deck of cards. So I think that's really valuable. Instead of going to a course where everybody's got their own interpretation and they do things their own way, when you come to IFAST University, we're all starting from the same basic philosophy. And so it's very cohesive. Yes. Now, with that being said... If you log on, and I think now we're getting close to our one-year anniversary, maybe. I don't know. We've got like eight or nine months of content up there. I don't, I'm not totally sure. But there's a lot of content up. If you go on there and you take all this stuff, and you and I have had this discussion before, Jim. If you take all this information and start trying to apply it firehose style, you will not be successful. In fact, you will fail miserably and probably piss a lot of people off along the way. A far better way to do this is to watch a video or two, sit back, take 30 minutes to an hour and think about, okay, how does what he or she just said fit into what I'm already doing? How does it fit into my philosophy? And then you take one or two things and start applying those, experimenting with those because peer-reviewed or you know, evidence-based practice, look, everything that we do is evidence-based practice. Every day we're in the gym. If you're trying a different exercise or you're trying a different cue, that's evidence-based. You're trying to figure out, does the evidence tell me this works? Or does the evidence tell me this doesn't work and I'm going to scrap it? So take one or two things and start applying it and see what kind of results you get. And then go back and maybe watch a different video and say, hey, I'm going to try maybe these one or two things the next week. I think that's a far more pragmatic way to start tweaking and refining your own system than just blindly taking a bunch of information, throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's fantastic. Well done. So Mike, I know you do online training. I don't know if you're taking anybody right now, but uh, to wrap this up, I know you got to be somewhere in like three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, so to wrap this up, uh, tell people where they can find you and um, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. The easiest place to find me, uh, quite honestly, is just robertsontrainingsystems.com. There you can find all my old content, which, I mean, look, there's like a thousand pages of content on that site now. It's massive, but it's got written articles. It's got short coaching videos. It's got podcasts with other great coaches, which reminds me, Jim, I'm going to send you an email because I need to get you on there. 
but just tons of content. It's got all of my continuing education products. So if you are a trainer, if you are a coach, you want to upgrade your own performance, I mean, there's something for everybody from the core training product that Jim alluded to, to the physical prep 101, which is basically my entire like philosophy distilled into two days, uh, which covers all the programming, coaching, all that good stuff. So it's got products, articles, videos, everything you could ever want on there. Um, I do online training, obviously. So you know whether you're an athlete that just wants to get in better shape or a trainer or coach that wants to learn more about my philosophy and how I do things, that could be an option for you. But uh, I don't want it to feel like a sales pitch. Just uh, come to robertsontrainingsystems.com, hang out for a couple weeks, see what it's all about, and uh, hopefully you'll pick up a thing or two along the way. Well, awesome, Mike. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do the show. And everybody, thanks again for tuning in to um, the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IOFM. If you have any feedback, positive, negative, um, or questions, you can email me at info at jimlaird.com. Have a great day. been listening to the jim laird show with your host jim laird if you'd like to hear more log on to body.io don't miss the next episode of the jim laird show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful